0: All right, and welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards Podcast. As always, do us a favor at the start of the show here. Make sure you hit that little subscribe button, give us a review, tell a friend, all that good stuff. I think we got a lot of really good interviews lined up for you this season. And we're kind of kicking off the the off season here with a particularly good one. NBC Sports Washington's Wizards reporter Chase Hughes is joining me today. Actually, Larry is on vacation, enjoying a little uh time with the family. So uh you guys are stuck with me, but luckily I have Chase here to to raise basketball IQ of the podcast today. So uh, again, rate, review, subscribe—all the good stuff. Send us a lot of questions, make some suggestions for guests, and let us know who you'd like to hear from. We want this to be for fans, so tell us what you want. Before we get going, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it—from basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information from all of your online sports betting needs. So before the next tip off, face off, or first pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now we're going to welcome in Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. He's the Wizards reporter for the crew and part of the broadcast team and, and the works. Chase, you're kind of the Renaissance man for NBC. How do you uh, juggle those different roles?
1: Well, it's uh, it's easy when it's easier, I should say, when you're talking about uh, a sport like the NBA that you love and a team that you know, you grew up rooting for. I'm I'm not a fan of them anymore. You know, if, if you cover a team, it kind of changes. But, you know, I, I was talking about the Wizards they, when they were then known as the Bullets when I was like eight years old, you know, trying to make the case to my parents about, you know, why they should trade for this guy or why they should fire this coach. So um, it's kind of innate for me.
0: Yeah, it's got to be pretty surreal to growing up rooting for a particular team and covering them. Like I said, I, I know you got to be uh, impartial and but probably means a little bit more when you have some connection to the franchise at least.
1: Yeah. And I think it helps because, you know, I have sort of a basis of knowledge going back to like my earliest memories of watching them play. And I just have a pretty good understanding. I think of their history from, I guess the mid nineties to now, and I've done what I can to learn about uh, previous eras. I think I I can also kind of um, reason with wizards fans because I'm from here and I know all that they've been through. Uh, It's a really, I think, unique fan base. Uh, you know, when you haven't won anything of substance since the 1970s, it kind of has an effect on you. Yep. <laughs> so I kind of, okay. I kind of understand the cynicism, uh, for sure. And you know, you're one of the fans and 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 podcast uh, hosts that I follow, and I, I, you know, I enjoy reading your insight and other people. It kind of, uh, you know, it, it's all it all kind of helps me to to understand what fans are thinking and what they they might want to read about.
0: I appreciate that. I definitely don't have the ability to be uh, sort of unbiased. So I I, I, I give you all the credit there. Sort of want to get your initial reactions to obviously like a weird season in the NBA. What do you think of just how this played out for the Wizards this year? Uh, Is it a success? Is it underwhelming? You know, I mean, how did you feel about the year in general?
1: I think I would call it a success. Uh, you know, it's just so interesting. Like if you going into the season, if you asked me, where do you think they're going to end up? I would have said somewhere between the six seed and the eight seed in the East. I, I thought they would make the playoffs. I, I thought their floor would be higher than it ultimately proved to be. You know, they mm-hmm. were 15 games under 500. I, I thought that wouldn't have happened sure. with Russell Westbrook coming to the Eastern conference after all the success he had in the West coming to an inferior conference. Him and Beale, I, I thought it was just basically automatic. You'd be in the playoffs. I thought their ceiling was, at the same time, not all that high. You know, they weren't going to be the second or third seed in the East. They just didn't have the depth. Uh, they don't have uh, the the high-end firepower that some of these other teams have. So basically, they kind of finished where I thought they would finish. It's just that no one could have predicted the road that they took to get there, right? Uh, all the, the injuries, uh, the COVID outbreak, how low things were at their lowest point, 15 games under 500, like I said, in early April and be able to re- rebound from that. I mean, it was an unbelievable trajectory that they went on and they did it while overcoming a lot. So I think I, I would overall call it a success, obviously not like a best case scenario that things could have been better if they were healthy all year. Maybe they would have finished in the seventh seed or the sixth seed. I, I still don't think they would have finished much higher. So it- it's just kind of a weird year where they finished kind of where I thought they would uh, just in the most roundabout of ways.
0: We talked about this a little bit last show, and I think Larry answered basically the same way you, you answered. And I said, I agree to an extent, but I would have felt a little differently had they lost those play-in games. If they had you know, sort of dropped out of the playoffs, I, I would have looked at the season differently, which maybe isn't fair. Just that's sort of tough to, to win two you know, do or die games, basically. But getting that eight seed, getting those guys playoff experience, I, I think ended up being pretty worth it in the long run.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it would have been a, a, it would have been a different tone to finish the year if they right. lost in the play in tournament because they had two opportunities. You know, <laughs> if you lost to the Celtics and then lost to the Pacers, I mean that that's just I feel like that'd be a really really tough way to go out. And I think there was a lot of value and I wrote about this. I think there was a lot of value in them just playing the Sixers. Mm-hmm. They got, you know, their you know what's handed to them. Um they would have been swept I think if Joel Embiid didn't get hurt. But that's fine, because if they had lost in the play-in tournament, there would have been guesswork. There would have been this unknown. Like, well, you know, who knows? They might have matched up better in the first round against the Sixers than, you know, whoever made it, the, the Pacers or, or what have you. Um, or, but the, the Wizards now know that there's a pretty wide gap between them and the Sixers. And I think the question they need to ask themselves is if they play a, the Sixers one year from now in a playoff series, how can that result be different? And the same could be applied to the Nets and the Celtics. And and I think there's value in, in the data that they now have that they know the gap between them and the Sixers is pretty wide. And they're not going to be fooled into thinking that they're like super close. Um, and again, that might sound harsh, but I think it's 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 worth it just to know that so that you don't go in and 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 guess how far you are away.
0: Yeah, I think for decision making purposes this offseason, you have a much better sense of of where you need to go, where you need to get to, or if you choose to go the other direction, because you know you are still super far away from those guys, uh, we, we've heard some about, you know, do they tank? Do they trade Beal? You know, what do they do for next year? I know you recently wrote an article about some of Tommy Shepard's comments about taking big swings and Ted not being afraid to go into the tax if they have to to improve the team. Uh, there's been some rumors floating around about the potential of who they could trade for and things like that. How realistic do you think it is that they do try to add a third star?
1: I think they're going to try now realistic is the key word there because um, no pun intended, the stars kind of have to align, right? You know, the right guy has to come available. Um, You have to have the right pieces to beat other teams with your offer. Um, In certain instances, they have to sign off on wanting to come here and every year guys become available. Um, Like last year, I was, you know, I just wrote an article about this and in the last eight months, four of the top five highest paid players in the league got traded like I said in the last 8 months mm-hmm. um James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, uh John Wall and, and all those trades kind of worked out to varying degrees uh for their teams. Like Chris Paul and James Harden helped turn their new teams into contenders. Sure. You see it every year, you know, these stars become available. Uh usually it's uh you know that kind of a select few teams that everyone thinks has a chance. Like Miami's always kind of mentioned, New Orleans has a bunch of assets, Lakers before that, the Knicks are always kind of mentioned, the Celtics, uh the Sixers, but I think the wizards could put together a competitive offer, but the right guy's going to have to become available. And I think the parameters that they have to look for are obviously someone who's not a guard because they already have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, uh, ideally someone who's not a liability as a shooter. So I think that should probably rule out. I know DeMar DeRozan's like a, a, a free agent and you, it would be a sign and trade, but someone like that would worry me because shooting is probably their biggest weakness. They got to be able to play defense. And I think ideally someone who's not past their prime. Now, I think odds are someone like that is going to become available this off season. Um, and the wizards, I think are probably better positioned and more willing to try to take a swing than they have in the past. I mean, Tommy Shepard going out on the record and saying, I'm not afraid to take big swings and alluding to the fact that he just took one with Russell Westbrook, I think is a good sign that he's willing to do it again in a big mm-hmm. way. And I think that's what they have to do sure. to take the next step. Um, but it, it's still going to be difficult to do. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they Went into the offseason trying to do that and ended up settling with a deal that instead just added depth to their rotation.
0: Uh, a couple of names that have been floating out there. Obviously, uh, Chris Tebbs zingus is has been a mention for pretty much a couple teams, you know, after after the end of the Dallas season. Jeremy Grant has some ties to the area. So that's been a popular name to speculate on. Either of those guys seem realistic to you or, or think they'd be guys that were on their radar based on those parameters you just talked about.
1: I would say Jeremy Grant is probably more realistic um, because uh, the Pistons, to me, seem like they'd have more reason to trade him to a team like the Wizards than the Mavericks would with Chris porzingis Like, the the Mavs, the, the talk is now, all right, they got to find Luka Doncic, the right co-star. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Stapps porzingis doesn't appear to be that guy right now, even though he's only like 25. And if you look at his numbers, he had his most efficient season uh, yet. And he's a guy who does a lot of things. He just came up so short in the playoffs, and you know he's not a great rebounder for his size. Uh, I think he would fit really well with the Wizards. You know, if you talk about rebounding being a relative weakness, uh, well, you can offset that with Russell Westbrook. I mean, it'd be kind of a, a the opposite of the way you think about rebounding. Your point guard to be your rebounder, your center would would not be. But they could offset that a little bit. I, I just don't think that, like, the Mavericks would see the Wizards as a viable trade partner. Maybe it's a th- a, a three-team trade. Mm-hmm. But, like, who are the Wizards going to trade the Mavericks that would be that running mate with Luka Doncic? Uh, I feel like they, th- it would make sense for them to look elsewhere. Now, Jeremy Grant and the Pistons, you know, if you wanted to put together the type of package with young players and, and first-round picks, you know, maybe he, he's not an actual star, so you wouldn't have to, you know – put together three or four first round picks like you might have to for some guys, but they're a rebuilding team. You know, Jeremy Grant was a guy that they um, struck gold with in free agency. Maybe they could capitalize on that and he'd be a perfect fit here. Cause he plays defense. He he's a wing. He can shoot threes. I mean, he does everything that they need. He's from here. Um, you know, his brother was in the organization. Um, so it, it would be, I think he would make more sense uh, for all those reasons. Although I would say Chris Stapp's for is better and if the wizards got him they might be a better team but jeremy grant um if you're looking at the boxes you're trying to check off this offseason he would check off a lot of them
0: yeah i think for him he's just sort of low enough on that uh star status that you know he wouldn't be kind of afraid to come here and be the third guy i don't think there's really any ego related issues that come from that like it's a pretty clear pecking order i think you know that's what i worry about when we say third star is like who's going to want to come here and also uh, are they going to be okay being the third guy is that a step back from where they come from all those sort of things i think as much as the wizards have worked on you know chemistry and locker room vibe and all those things that you kind of have to take that into account
1: that that does have to be taken into account and you know like um there's certain players that you, you don't you just wonder if the personality would fit like i, I don't know if Jimmy Butler is going to become available, but there's been reports about the contract he wants and Mm -hmm. Miami's always wheeling and dealing, you know, like, could he fit with the guy like Russell Westbrook? Those are two really strong personalities, but in terms of the third star, um, I think the Wizards should aim higher than that. They should start out aiming higher than that. If someone becomes available, who's like who would come in and immediately be their clear cut best player. You try to get that person. If you can fit them under the salary cap. And if you think you can make a competitive offer for them, it's, it's interesting because it, it's still kind of early in the offseason to highlight who would be the best fits um, because it kind of depends on playoff results, right? Yeah. Like what happens in L.A. with the Clippers? Like, yeah. do they crash and burn um, in their playoff series right now? Um, because if they do, uh, you know, lose to the Jazz. I mean, they were down, what, 0-2 to the Mavericks and came back. And when they were down 0-2, I was like, man, you know, if Paul George becomes available or Kawhi technically can opt out, Um, he'd be perfect. So there's, there's a, I I think we might have to wait a little while just to see who the names are, but I think it's definitely valuable to talk about this in theory and before it's in practice.
0: On the other side, the Wizards would have to give up assets to get somebody. And I think there's been some recent reporting that Westbrook Beal and Rui Hachimura would be the only untouchables on the Wizards roster, but do you think Hachimura did enough this year to actually give himself untouchable status uh, in the organization's mind? Or do they at least have to consider that as they go star hunting?
1: Well, I don't know if he's entirely untouchable, but he does have a uh, value that they want to hold on to if they can. Because he's young, he's on a rookie contract, and he's got pretty considerable upside. Um, You know, whether you think he can be like a superstar or even a star, um, I I think he can probably become a fringe all-star. And and if you have a guy on the contract, a rookie contract, who can be that player, um, then you want to hold on to that. Now they have a collection of young players that I think they could deal from Rui, Danny Avdia, Daniel Gafford, you know, Thomas Bryant with the injury. It's kind of an unknown, Mm -hmm. Um, but between those players and the first round picks that they have, where there's, as we all know, some uncertainty about the roster beyond next season because of Bradley Beal's contract and and Russell Westbrook's age. And just if you look back historically, you know, the Wizards, how often have they been so good that their first-round pick lost value, right? They they haven't had a first-round pick based on their record uh, lower than 20 since the 1970s because they haven't won 50 games. They haven't been to the conference finals. So if you're another GM and you're looking at the Wizards and their first-round picks – you're probably feeling pretty good about betting on them potentially bottoming out, or even if they do play well, you know, not ruining the the stock of that draft pick very much. Um, so Rui's in there. I, I think you would if you if you do, even if you sell the farm to get like a, a third star, like call it Paul George or Carl or Anthony Towns or someone like that. Ideally, you'd hold on to some collection of those young players, and Rui would be the guy at the top of the list that I think you'd want to hold on to. Um, not anything against Danny Avdia, Daniel Gafford, those other guys. He's just shown the most at this point.
0: Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, I would have to refresh myself on on some of the rules here and stuff, but sort of under the impression that the Wizards can't trade a draft pick after this year's because of the wall trade, and you can't trade consecutive first-round picks, I think. So uh, that probably limits them in some way, You know how high they can go if, if you can't trade 22 or 24 you know, how high can you really go if you can only attach a first round pick or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the Stepien rule. And uh, you're right. You can't trade consecutive uh, first round picks. But, um, you know, sometimes there's GMs like Sam Presti who will uh, take a draft pick that will
0: technically be a guy who's 12 years old right yeah, now. So. 2027 20, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to your point, given where they've been track record wise, it's it's a reasonable bet for a GM to kind of bank on them, you know, being somewhere in a rebuild, you know, five years from now or something like that.
1: And it's risky. Let's be honest. It's risky Mm -hmm. if you're the Wizards to think like that. But one Mm -hmm. thing that kind of always stands out to me, and I I don't know how you feel about this, but Wizards fans are often saying like they want the Wizards to tank because they feel like they haven't tried that. But I I would argue that they have tried that, Um, you know, several instances throughout their history, including, you know, when they got John Wall and Bradley Mm -hmm. Beal. The kind of just take a big swing and, and throw it all in the middle of the table for a third star and then kind of figure it out after that. That's something that I feel like they haven't tried. So when you're talking about a franchise that, again, has not won 50 games or been to the conference finals since the 1970s, I think you can justify taking a chance and doing something that you haven't done before. And to me, that type of risk, you know, what, what else you have to lose? Are you going to be mediocre after that, or, you know, bounce into the lottery? Cause you know, that's generally where you are as the Wizards? So might as well take a shot.
0: I might get some angry tweets for this, but I, I do try to be objective while talking about uh, Ernie Grunfeld's tenure, but and and you know, stars a relative term, I guess. But but going out and getting Karan Butler for that team to be the third guy was kind of the last time this team really kind of pushed their chips into the middle of the table. And that worked out reasonably well. I mean, that's arguably one of the two best teams they've had in the last two decades. So I'm with you. I think it would be Worthwhile to give it a shot. And like you said, you don't do anything crazy, but you at least try for that and see if you can pry somebody away and, and see if it fits your team. Yeah.
1: Uh traded Kwame Brown for Karan Butler. It's that was a great trade. You know, Ernie had some he had some hits. Uh, you know, it's just over time. He he obviously didn't get the job done. But that would that was if you were to rank the best moves that that he made or some of the best moves that this team has made in a long time, that'd be up there. Certainly signing Gilbert and in free agency, but yeah, Karan, I, I liked um, him a lot. I mean, he was, he was great. You know, I think he, uh, obviously that team, the ceiling was really high if Gilbert never got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, someone like that, they need a three, they need someone who can shoot play a little defense. Um, yeah, it's kind of like they're back to where they were when they, when they acquired uh Karan Butler.
0: We had, uh, Jared Jeffries on the show last summer. And one of the things he and Larry both talked about was just, why this you know franchise hasn't been more of a free agent destination, and I think they were both of the opinion that they hadn't had like consistent prolonged postseason success. And for those guys, they were just saying it, it doesn't even have to be like Eastern Conference Finals every time, but just does this team consistently make the playoffs every year? And that's somewhere you're much more willing to try to go if if you have a reasonable expectation of being in the playoffs. And so that's why I was sort of anti tank this year. I thought there was definitely value of just. Hey, we were building in the right direction, and somebody could see themselves coming in here and take helping them take that jump.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um you know, I think the Wizards uh, really looked at uh, what happened in Brooklyn and l a with mm-hmm. the Clippers. And obviously, those are Los Angeles and the New York markets. so you you have that aiding you in terms of free agency. But those teams weren't free agent destinations previously. And what they felt like they gleaned from from the success that those teams had, was that players wanted to play for them because they had built this winning competitive culture, um, this sort of blue collar culture. It wasn't a team that had just won 20 games in a season. It was a team that kind of scrapped and, and clawed their way to the playoffs and did so with unheralded guys and had rebranded and, you know, had cool jerseys and stuff like that. And I think the wizards have have rebranded. And, and I, I feel like you're more likely to bring someone in unless you're the Lakers. Uh, if you have, uh, I guess, at least if you're trying to win or if you've had some level of success. And that is a big question this off season. you know, free agency, they're going to be limited in their resources, but if you do need to get someone uh, to sign off in a trade to come here, you know, now you feel like your pitch might be a little bit better than it had been in the past. Um, you have Russell Westbrook, who is uh, still very good, a competitive player who I think a lot of young players in this league grew up idolizing um, Bradley Beal's an all-star starter. Um, He's a very compatible teammate. Um, And then also when it comes to that sort of competitive mentality, I I always go back to this quote from Jamal Murray uh, last offseason where he said that might be the hardest playing team in the league. And that was something that the Wizards wanted to develop and establish. And I think they probably took that to another level with Russell Westbrook. Now, they don't have the money to bring in a big free agent. Maybe someone wants to come here and assign and trade like Jimmy Butler did in Miami. But I think they've taken steps to try to improve the pitch that they can make. Um, but they've never really had success in the past. So until they can break through,
0: um, obviously it's all kind of just talking in theory at this point, we heard Bradley Beal say that he wants to go out and and try to recruit and things like that. And then you heard some of the names that might be tied to Brad or guys he's chummy with that, that he's maybe talked to already. And some of that, but, uh, I think what you just hit on about Russell Westbrook's appeal, I don't know that he necessarily needs to go recruit guys. I I think sort of his reputation speaks for itself. Um, And now for a quick break to hear about one of our sponsors. I've been trying to eat a little less red meat these days. So when I do eat something, I want it to be really good. And Moink meat is delicious. I love it and you will too. So get Moink right now. Moink was founded by an eighth generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted, and I agree. And Jamie Siminoff, creator of the Ring Doorbell, invested in Moink. So why did just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy, and you can help change that with moinkbox.com. Why are 97% of the chickens served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple, because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as the family farm. That's why you need moinkbox.com. The best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on the family farm and caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. And that's why you need moinkbox.com. Join the moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. Right now, and listeners to this show get free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. Spelled moink m-o-i-n-k box.com slash believe b-l-e-a-v that's moinkbox.com slash believe you won't regret it and now back to the show and this is something i want to ask you about anyway chase and probably harder to answer this year than most but without having been in the locker room and stuff like that this year but we heard a lot of their teammates talk about the impact that Russell Westbrook had on the team from a mentality standpoint, a mindset standpoint, you know, sometimes with NBA players, you get kind of lip service about their teammates, but I really felt like that was genuine from these guys. Uh, I just want to get your take, you know, sitting in on, on all these interviews over the year. Like does, was that a real tangible thing that, that came from, you know, his leadership style?
1: I think so. Um, You know, you saw it with younger players like Rui Hachimura and Daniel Gafford, who uh, and Garrison Matthews, who were just kind of amazed at just the mere fact they were playing with this guy that, you know, they were in their living rooms when they were 13 years old playing with on 2K. You know, like they literally grew up idolizing the guy. Rui in particular, um, you know, I think Russ took him under his wing. Um, He really helped him on the court um, by, you know, giving him opportunities to score on the fast break. And and you saw some of the tough love he gave him, some of the vocal leadership. I think he he showed a lot of guys how to prepare for games. You know, the Wizards made some changes to where they assigned players lockers so that they could see how Russell Westbrook watches film before games. Um, You know, apparently he would come in uh, basically every off day when they would practice, he'd be back later that night uh, to take extra shots. So he just puts in a lot of extra work behind the scenes to maintain his body, to sharpen his, his game. And I think that rubbed off on a lot of guys. And I think you saw it on the court, particularly with the extra effort on rebounds. There were the most amazing thing to me about him this season, where there were a few games where they won in overtime or they won by one point or, or two points. And you could go back to like the second or third quarter. And the best highlight of the game from Russell Westbrook was an unbelievable offensive rebound where he out, uh, he outdid three guys, some in some cases, big men, guys who were seven feet tall to get an offensive rebound and then throw a pass to another guy. And they made the shot. So basically he himself, you know, stole two points from the other team. And then you look at the end of the game and they win by one. So it's like little things like that, I think, really stand out uh, to the rest of the team. And just his 100 percent effort that, you know, we've heard about for so many years. And I'm sure a lot of fans came to appreciate Um, I think that rubbed off on even players like Bradley Beal, who said that, you know, bringing it every single night at 110% is is really hard to do in the NBA, but it's a little bit easier when you're playing next to a guy like Russell Westbrook, who just does that every single game. Um, It's almost like he's got, you know, a different gene in his body where he doesn't get as tired or he has more energy or something, but there's something different about him um, that I think helps set a tone, you know, whether he's talking or not, people can just sort of fall in line watching him go to work.
0: I remember Brad said a couple of years ago that the best leader he'd been around was LeBron and he referenced like two all-star games where he'd spent time <laughs> around him. So that tells you a lot about like the guys he was around and he obviously listed Paul Pierce at that point too. But, you know, for someone like Brad, where you've been one of the guys at least, and this is the only situation you've been in, I think that was a healthy thing for him just to see how another big time guy did it and, and see what he could pick up from him.
1: I think so. I also think there was probably an element of Bradley Beal knowing he's very good, right? He's probably a top 10 player in the NBA, top scorer in the Eastern Conference, two straight years. But he's he now got to see up close that there are other levels to reach. Yeah. Levels that, you know, maybe Russell Westbrook isn't at now. I think you could make the argument that Bradley Beal is the best player on the team. But mm-hmm. when he was at his peak in the second half of the season, that was like un, uh, that was unlike anything I've seen from any Wizards player, maybe ever. I mean it, it was it was a different level than John Wall ever got to than Bradley Beale's really ever been on. Mm-hmm. and you know, Russell Westbrook has been the places that Bradley Beale wants to go like he's been an MVP uh, he's won a scoring title um, he's been th- not only the best player in the sport in a given year but legitimately one of the best players of his generation, a top five player uh, the top player in the league and, and that's where Bradley Beale wants to go. It's like I think he got he's he got to witness whatever. Amount of greatness Russell Westbrook still has left. He got to witness that firsthand, and I think it was the the at his peak, it was the best teammate uh, that Bradley Beal's ever played with. You know, aside from All Star games, and I would imagine that's got to be motivating. Um, and it just kind of shows you behind the scenes and on the court of how to get there. And I feel like we we talked all year about the impact that Russell Westbrook had on the young players and. You know, Ru Hachamura, eight years from now, is going to be remembering lessons that he yeah. he learned from playing with Russell Westbrook. Well, I think there's a certain effect on Bradley Beale too, where he can now see what it's like uh, up close to be an, a great player, an all-time great. And I think you can help Bradley Beale get there himself.
0: And just the sort of multiple ways, like you mentioned, the rebounding that that Westbrook impacts the game. I think that's probably the next step for Beale is how do you get guys more involved? How do you lock in, you know, at least some key possessions defensively, getting big rebounds, things like that. So hopefully, uh, this sort of versatility there, uh, you know, applies to Beal uh, longer term too.
1: I think so, and I think one um, area that Bradley Beal uh, could fill in uh, for his game and, and really take the next step is just taking over games late. Mm-hmm. And you look at his clutch numbers. Uh, His percentages drop across the board in clutch time, which is the final five minutes of regulation and overtime uh, when the game is within five points. And and those numbers went up for Russell Westbrook this year. He was kind of their closer. Um, You know, it may sound cliche, but we saw these games like against the Pelicans when they went to overtime where he scored 10 of their 12 points to lead them to victory. And Bradley Bill's a better scorer than Russell Westbrook, but we don't see that type of late game takeover very often. Um, the type that we see from Damian Lillard and, and, you know, at least during the regular season from James Harden um, certainly Steph Curry can do that. I think that's the next step for Bradley Beal and just Russell Westbrook doing it a little bit this year. Um, it, you know, helps uh, draw a contrast there. And and I would guess that Bradley Beal, um, a guy who was improved for basically six straight seasons is going to be working on that this off season. And I wouldn't be surprised if as early as next year, you know, he's out hitting big shots much more consistently than he has in the past.
0: A little out of left field here too, but uh, you're pretty honed in on on the analytics and things like that. Bradley Beal's three-point shooting really took a a pretty big drop this year. Any guesstimate as to why that is? Usage, worse shots, any any input or insight there?
1: Yeah, he had his lowest uh, three-point percentage of his career. And I think the trajectory has already been there and maybe it's gone a little bit unnoticed because for the first, what, five or six years of his career, he was known as a three-point shooter. I mean, mm-hmm. he shot 40%. He was on the level of, you know, Clay Thompson and that type. You know, it was like, who's the best shooter in the NBA? And Bradley Beal would have been on the short list. But his percentages plummeted once John Wall started getting hurt. And I think it did for a few reasons. One, you know, John Wall is unbelievable at throwing accurate passes exactly where you want the ball thrown to shoot a three. How many guys has he made money over the years? I mean, look That's at true. Otto Porter with him and without him, yeah. Martell Webster, uh, some of these guys. Um, so he's an amazing passer. But I think more importantly, it just had to do with Bradley Beal's role in the offense. The ball started being in his hands a lot more, and he had to shoot off the dribble. And you see this with a lot of players where. Their three-point percentage is at its highest on catch-and-shoot plays, and then it drops a little bit when it's off one dribble, and it drops a little bit more off two dribbles, and it's like the more you dribble, the lower the percentage is. It's it, what, what, like, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard do off the dribble is unbelievably difficult, and most guys can't do it. So I think it's been several years now, and Bradley Beal's still trying to make that adjustment. So I think that's the biggest reason. Maybe another reason would be that this was the worst three-point shooting team the Wizards have had in quite a while. Um, You know, when you lose Thomas Bryant, that cuts into your space because he's one of the best three-point, or at least one of the most accurate three-point shooters at the center position. Davis Bertans is basically their only deadly three-point shooter. I mean, they had Howell Neto, but he's not a volume guy. So I don't think there was a whole lot of space for Bradley Beal to just, uh, you know, park on the perimeter and be able to catch and shoot. But I, I did see those percentages go up a little bit toward the end of the year. Um, he had some better three-point shooting games, and I think it's because the Wizards made an adjustment because Russell Westbrook was doing so well at getting to the rim. Brad De Beale had more catch-and-shoot opportunities.
0: We talked a lot about just trying to get them better shots, and, and you saw that uh, Monumental Basketball just hired Dr. Catherine Evans to lead the research and analytics department. Do you think that's a focus for them, is just trying to like pick their spots, be more efficient? That's why they're doubling down on, on sort of the analytics.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've seen this over the last two years, you know, when they restructured their front office in 2019, uh, we saw Tommy Shepard basically be in charge of basketball decisions and Sashi Brown uh, take over as chief planning officer uh, for monumental basketball. And ever since they've expanded their front office to a really significant degree. Cause I think they, they sort of studied around the league and realized they had fewer people uh, than a lot of the better teams Going back to the Clippers, uh, the the Raptors too are two teams with very robust front offices. Uh, everything from player wellness to analytics and and research. And we've seen the Wizards make make a lot of different hires. Um, they also expanded their international scouting with guys like Johnny Rogers. But you've seen these analytics hires that they've made, like Dean Oliver on the coaching staff. They've hired some. They've hired some kind of like young young people who just really understand statistics. Basically, this is just yet another. It seems like they've basically doubled their their personnel in the front office. I don't know the specifics of what it's affected because it's so sort of big picture. Hmm. Um, But I do wonder, you know, because you look at the front office and the quantity of good moves they've made, from stuff at the margins like Howell Neto and and Robin Lopez to trades like Daniel Gafford. Um, They've got, and you know, the draft pick of Rui Hachimura. Um, I think Denny's going to be a good player. Um, they've made a lot of good moves, a lot of, a lot more good moves than bad moves. They've obviously had some misses. Um, but you see the kind of a tide turning where the front office just is operating smart, more smartly and having more success than they did just a few years ago. And I wonder if that's just kind of like the, um, the, the water level rising as they continue to emphasize analytics. Um, but when you ask them specific questions, um, about, you know, how, how analytics applied to a certain move, you don't often get specific answers, but like how will Neto, for instance, uh, when they signed him, Tommy cited uh, defensive plus minus adjusted plus minus because Neto had been one of the best point guards in the league in that category for like three or four years running. So I think the front office has gotten smarter and, and, um, this is just the latest hire in, in that process.
0: Yeah, you talked a lot there about the kind of those moves around the margins and, and making smarter, informed choices. And, and Evans comes over from Toronto, who's arguably been the best organization about picking guys up on the margins and, and having them you know, actually contribute. So I think Wizards fans would be happy to have uh, some of their magic carry over here too. Chase, you're my go-to source for Inst- like Wizards news and, and things like that. But I just want to talk a little bit about what this year was like for you guys, you know, as sort of the the key media members trying to to keep tabs on this team when you don't have all that access or the players are, you know, going to do five minutes of kind of high level remarks and then they move on. Like how much tougher was it for you to cover this team and provide sort of that deeper level insight when, when you can't really get in front of guys?
1: Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was definitely an interesting season um, in terms of the difficulties. I mean, there was some things that were easier, you know, I got to cover games just from the comfort of my own home. I didn't have to go anywhere. That was nice. And overall, you know, I I have no complaints about my job. You know, there's people out there doing much harder things. But in terms of the challenge of covering a team, it it was, it did require a pretty big adjustment early on, just with the lack of access, because it's all about trying to come up with stuff and get stories that other people don't have. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're only relegated to this setting where everyone's involved, and actually far more people can get involved because it's on Zoom and people can. You know, pipe in from other countries all around the world, and people who don't have to actually, you know, drive to the facility or spend 10 hours somewhere—they can have the same access you do. So it required an adjustment. I think it took more creativity than normal to come up with ideas, more outside-the-box interviews. You know, like this year, and uh, i got some one-on-one interviews, but far fewer than usual because you had to get the guys on the phone. Um, and it wasn't the same sort of dynamic when you're at practice and you can just pull a guy to the side or, you know, after a game in the locker room. So, you know, you tried to interview people who knew players really well, you know, like I talked to Tom Izzo about Cassius Winston, that was Mm -hmm. really cool. And, you know, maybe that's something I wouldn't have done in a normal season. Uh, it kind of forced me to think like that and, and try to interview you know, take big swings, interview, you know, going back to big swings. Like I interviewed Alex Rodriguez about Bradley Beal. I kind of needed to get people to talk about players on the team because I couldn't talk to the players as often. Um, but what did make it a little bit easier was just to be honest, Russell Westbrook becoming a wizard because they became better. And he's just such a popular player that it became a lot easier to get people to read your stories. You know, Denny Abdia and Rui Hachimura, they have fan bases. They've become really popular, but, There's nothing quite like the readership of Russell Westbrook's fans. You know, I think he made the Wizards in some respects a lot more popular of a team. You saw it in TV ratings, but I can tell you just in terms of readership, you know, things went through the roof just because anything you write about the guy, people want to read. And they've just, you know, usually been a distant fourth in terms of traffic, web traffic. You know, the Washington football team's the most popular team. And, you know, the Caps and Nats are very successful. Um, But Russell Westbrook is kind of a brand on his own, you know? So it, it was fun to cover him and just see, you know, when you put hard work into things, uh, it actually get rewarded by people reading it.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I, I only looked at it from sort of the negative aspect. So I'm glad that at least, uh, it helped some, you know, in some ways there too. following along with that, anything that you're working on or stories that you have coming up that, that people should keep an eye out for.
1: Yeah. Um, I you know I'm going to be following this uh, quest for a, a a big trade I think all off season but we'll be starting our our draft coverage pretty soon I think you know Wizards fans obviously a lot of them wanted a higher pick uh, but 15th overall that's you can get some talent you know the last two MVPs were taken 15th overall or later and this is a draft that everyone talks about the depth at the top well usually that means that there's going to be better players further down the board so next week we'll start our draft coverage so make sure look at that I feel like we do a pretty extensive job going player by player and looking at their potential fit with the Wizards so I'm excited about that as I'm sure you are draft season's fun and the Wizards have a first round pick it may not be the fifth overall pick but 15th overall they they can get a good player and I think you should look at you know the the drafts uh the last two Rui and Denny Rui was uh, obviously a hit he's already shown that and I think Denny's uh going to continue to prove that he was a good draft pick as well and I, I think you should have confidence if you're a Wizards fan that they, they can make a, a, another good decision and bring in another guy um, who, who can make a difference.
0: Any gut feeling on what position they'll uh, try to go or too early to tell you?
1: Uh, I mean, I think wing would be the the, the obvious one. Um, it's interesting because usually like rim protectors is their biggest need, but they got a guy now, Daniel yeah. Gafford, who's 22, who's really good at it. I think, you know, in the draft generally, um, it should be best player available, though even if that guy's a point guard or a shooting guard, I mean, you know, that didn't stop the Hornets from drafting LaMelo ball when they had Terry Rozier and, and Devonte Graham. And, you know, they started him out on the bench and ended up taking over. Um, and with the uncertainty of Westbrook and Beals futures,
0: um, I think you could absolutely justify taking a
1: guard. If you think they have the highest ceiling,
0: always pro best player available too. So I, I love it. Chase, thank you so much You've been incredibly generous with your time and keep up the great work.
1: Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Let's do it again.